Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series. Dr. Bill Takeshita is the Chief of Optometric Services and Coordinator of Children's Programs for the Center for the Partially Sighted, as well as Director of Low Vision Training for Braille Institute. Uh, the Center for the Partially Sighted is partnering with Braille Institute for this informative monthly telephone education series. The Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series is a program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The information presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sue. I really appreciate that nice Mm -hmm. introduction. And uh, before we begin this evening, I'd like to uh, make an announcement. And um, many of you you know uh, Beth Moore. Beth Moore works with us at the Center for the Partially Sighted, and she uh, just recently spoke at the CTE BVI conference. And uh, it's with really great, great sadness that I I report to you that her husband, Jim, uh, he passed away this afternoon from a brain hemorrhage. It was last Wednesday, a week ago Wednesday, that uh, he suffered from a brain hemorrhage and Beth uh, found him at, at at their home after she was at one of our conferences, and uh, he uh, he was he was such an amazing man. I, I just had I just had dinner with him at the CTE BVI conference at LAX, and my, my my wife June and I we just said, you know, this is just such a wonderful couple. You know, Beth and Jim they acted as though they are still dating, and they're they're so in love and they're so friendly and such. So um, it, it, it's it's really, really so sad, but it gives us this awareness of how precious life is. So if you would all uh, join me at this time and if we could just have a, a, a moment of silence for prayer and blessings for uh, Jim, uh, Beth, and and their family. Okay, thank you. Thank you very, very, thank you very, very much. And uh, we, you know, Sue is, is such close friends with Beth, and I, I really appreciate you being on the call tonight, Beth, because I know that this is very difficult for you. And yeah. we we will we will keep everybody informed uh, regarding services or any ways that we may be able to help uh, Beth and the, their two daughters. I know that their daughters came in from Guam and Hawaii, and uh, they were they were there with Jim, uh, you know, through his, his his last days. So that was wonderful. But you know, mm-hmm. getting back to Jim, I just want to say this. You know, Jim was a man who was he he was so positive. You know, he's one of these types of men that you would meet and you you like hanging out with him. You know, I mean, yeah. I I really didn't know Jim very well, but. It would be that at all of these conferences, there was always this man there. And this man would always say, hey, come and join us, sit down, relax. And we would talk and things. And, uh, you know, got to know him just from him participating at all of these conferences for teachers for the visually impaired. I mean, he was so dedicated to supporting Beth and everything that Beth did. And even to this last uh, CTEV guy conference, he came and 
he helped out Tori and Judith and Beth and Rosanna, everybody from our Family Research Program Center for the Parsi Sighted. And I just said, you know what, this is the only husband, I think this is the only husband <laughs> who is here at this conference. And he was there and listening and supporting and participating. But I, I really think it's because he really believed and, and supported everything that these teachers are doing for the kids. And he was really there to support the parents, too, because I would see him talking to the parents. And he was so supportive to us as eye doctors. And most of all, you know, he, he was just so supportive of the children with low vision. And mm-hmm. so I think that we all we all have so much that we, we, we learn from Jim. I mean, just always a, a happy guy to be around. And uh, I, I, I need to be that way, too. So <laughs> we'll all keep There's Jim. <laughs> We'll all keep Jim in our hearts, huh, huh there, Sue? Mm-hmm. We will. We will. You know, us. so tonight what we're going to be talking about is how can you prepare for your eye appointment? And this is something that's very, very important for parents to all listen to. And the reason for it is because we want to talk about a few things. First of all, we want to educate all of you parents and relatives of a child who is visually impaired, or friends of the family of a child who is visually impaired, that the child with vision impairment needs multiple eye doctors. And this is something that I've been recently receiving requests from teachers to explain to parents why is it that a child needs more than one eye exam. You know, to the general public, the general public feels that eye doctors are eye doctors, just like plumbers are plumbers or chefs are chefs. But when we look at that more in depth, we realize that there are different types of plumbers. You know, there are some plumbers that do your landscaping outdoors, and there's other plumbers who do the interior of plumbing. And when we think about chefs, We have some chefs that are going to be great at grilling on the barbecue. And you have others who are sushi chefs, and they never cook anything. And the same thing holds true with the eye doctors. All children who have vision impairment really must be seen by two different eye doctors. The first eye doctor that your child must be seen by is an ophthalmologist. And ophthalmologists, they are medical doctors. They go to medical school during the time that they actually learn about how the body functions. But after they complete medical school, they then perform a residency in the field of ophthalmology. And it is during that period of their residency that they learn how to diagnose eye diseases and treat eye diseases by using surgery and or medications. So it's very, very important that people understand that all children, if you have a vision problem, they really should be seen by an ophthalmologist so that we can make certain that this child does not have a medical problem that is causing the child not to see maximally. Now let me give you an example of that. 
one of the examples is that let's say that we have a child and parents, everybody knows this child doesn't see well, and we know that this child has a cataract in the eye. Now, cataracts can be corrected, removed surgically by an ophthalmologist very easily. But another reason why it's important that children are examined by an ophthalmologist is because when the ophthalmologist talks to the family and learns about the child's history and the ophthalmologist looks at the medical record, they look at the child's blood test, they look at the pressure within the brain, it is very possible that the ophthalmologist will identify that that child, in addition to the cataract, has another problem such as hydrocephalus in the brain. And this is a condition in which a child may have too much fluid in the brain and this causes the brain to not process visual information normally. I just had a patient, and this is a patient that I have now known for 18 years. I've been in practice for that long. And this is a boy that I've been seeing for so many years and I knew what his vision was. But he came in and he said, you know, Dr. Bill, I think my vision has changed because I cannot see colors as well as I used to. And the first thing that came to my mind is that this boy is having a problem with the optic nerves because it's very rare that a child will suddenly have a change in their vision, especially their color vision. So we examined him and we found that he could not see any colors anymore. We looked at his optic nerves, and we could see that his optic nerves did look different. So at that point in time, I had referred him to his ophthalmologist, and I asked the ophthalmologist, would you actually make a request for him to have a special test? Because we need to test to see if the shunt in his brain is draining the fluid properly. And so the ophthalmologist said, are you sure? And I go, well, I'm not definitely sure, but I think that this is what's happening. So they took him to UCLA. They got him into the neurology. They then looked, and they did find that his shunts were not working properly. A part of the brain called the ventricle was enlarged. And this is something that if we did not control this particular fluid in the brain, it could have caused severe brain damage or death. So with all of this in mind, this is something that, again, reminds us that the ophthalmologist is there to not only look at the medical aspects of the eye or what part of the eye might benefit from surgery, but the ophthalmologist is also going to be looking at other things, hormone levels, blood levels, oxygen levels, so many other medical factors so we could see if there is possibly some other medical condition that's affecting the child's vision. Now, after a child has been examined by the ophthalmologist, it's then very important that the child is examined by a low vision specialist. For children, we want a pediatric low vision specialist because the pediatric low vision specialist is familiar with examining children. Now, during this examination by a pediatric low vision specialist, it may be an optometrist, 
or there are some ophthalmologists that do that. This examination that we perform is very, very different than what the ophthalmologist did. Generally speaking, when a child is examined by the ophthalmologist, the nurse or the technicians will put eye drops in the eyes of the child. And what this will do, it will open the pupil, the black hole in the center of the eye, so that the doctor could see the tissues inside the eye very easily. From there, the doctor will come in and examine the tissues of the eyes. And generally speaking, the ophthalmologist will spend between 5 to 10 minutes examining the tissues of the eye to tell the parents if there's any need for surgeries, medication, or other medical intervention. But what the ophthalmologist generally does not do, they do not spend time to measure what is the child's functional vision. You know, parents, they want to know, how far can my child see? How close can my child see? Does my child see certain colors better than others? Does my child have a blind spot in her peripheral vision? Does my child have depth perception? Does my child see where, locate, where the location of objects are accurately so that she could reach it and grab it? Does my child see things in the dark? Does my child have the ability to see in the bright sunlight? What size toys should I be using to show my child? Parents have all of these types of questions, and these questions are typically not answered by the ophthalmologist because the ophthalmologist's role is to investigate the tissues of the eye and to make the recommendation as to whether or not a child needs surgery or medications or other medical procedures. So this is why many pediatric ophthalmologists will refer that child also to a pediatric low vision specialist. And what the pediatric low vision specialist will do is that he or she will spend about an hour to two hours evaluating all of these different visual skills to determine how much does the child see. Number two, the pediatric optometrist and ophthalmologist will then determine whether or not this child will benefit from glasses, low vision aids, magnifiers, special colored tinted lenses, and most importantly, visual stimulation or visual intervention activities. The reason that all of these things are so important is that once we identify that a child has strong color vision, for example, but the child doesn't see well when he looks to the right side, is we could then develop a program of activities for parents and teachers for the visually impaired to incorporate so, for example, if we've learned from our evaluation that this child needs glasses and this child sees the color red and the child has difficulty looking to the right side, we could then perform activities that will force and encourage that child to look to the right side. We might use a red Elmo stuffed animal and move it toward the right side so that that child will begin to look toward the right we will tell the mom and dad, when you're sitting next to your child, 
sit on her right side, so she practices looking to the right. And we could then work on many of these different types of visual skills. And as the children get older, we will also work on visual processing skills. This is something that's very, very important because we know that so much of what a child learns comes through the visual system. When we work on a child's visual processing, we could teach and develop the child's ability to remember what he or she has seen. This is called visual memory. And visual memory is very important because it helps a child to learn to identify mom or dad's face. It helps a child to begin to learn to identify shapes, numbers, letters, and later words. We then do activities to develop the child's visual motor skills. In other words, can the child's brain control the eyes, the hands, and the legs together so that the child will move the legs at the appropriate position so that he or she doesn't fall down the stairs or step on the dog's tail. We also will work on different areas of visual perception. In other words, can we help a child to be able to solve visual problems? Some kids can't put together a jigsaw puzzle because they've suffered from an injury to the brain and they don't have that kind of visual perception skills. Other kids don't have strong visual attention, and we can develop their visual attention. So this hopefully will illustrate that the evaluation that is performed by the low vision optometrist or the low vision ophthalmologist is very different than that 5 to 10 minute examination performed by the general ophthalmologist. Once we perform this type of pediatric low vision examination, we write a very, very comprehensive report, and we will share that. We share that with all the people who are working with a child. So if your child has a teacher for the visually impaired at school, we can share it with a teacher for the visually impaired so that the teacher for the visually impaired will know what types of things should be done. Should this child be wearing glasses? When should the child be wearing these colored lenses? When should we be using magnification? How far away should we be presenting the information? Should we present it on the right side or the left side? And even other things that are so important, such as what type of light should we use when we're going to be working with a child? But we'll also share this report with the occupational the physical, the speech therapist, the behavioral therapist, early intervention therapist, and we also are going to have recommendations that we share with the parents. You know, a lot of parents aren't aware of this, but we could de decorate the home that the child is in so that the child could see much better. We could use those particular characteristics or colors or lights and contrasts to help the child to see better. And when a child is looking, this is really important, when the child is looking at these things, that stimulates the visual cells in the brain. And when we develop the visual cells of the brain, the child's vision can improve. So we want children to be evaluated by both an ophthalmologist and an optometrist. 
So when you make these appointments, we're then going to say these are some of the key factors that you want to think about when you are going to make an appointment to be seen by an ophthalmologist and the optometrist who specializes in low vision. Number one, I think it's really important that you do a little bit of research. Maybe you're going to talk to a person from the school, such as a teacher for the visually impaired, or you're going to talk to the regional center, or you're going to talk to an early intervention specialist, or you could simply call people such as Sue Parker Strafasi at Braille Institute, or you could call myself, and you want to find out who are the appropriate doctors for your child to be seen by. For example, let's say that your child was born prematurely and your child has a vision impairment. Well, the most important thing is that your child should not just be seen by any ophthalmologist, but your child should be seen by a pediatric ophthalmologist who specializes in the retina. And the reason for this is because a premature child is at great risk of having a retinal problem, and a pediatric retina specialist is going to be the best at looking and identifying any possible problems with the retina. You know, for example, there is a pediatric ophthalmologist that just referred a child to us, and this child was a 22-week gestation. I mean, really, really young. And this child had low vision, but the ophthalmologist, who is a retina specialist, he then examined this child, and he noticed that this child had a retina detachment. This is where the retina came off of the eye. He was able to perform surgery, and this child's vision is now excellent. So it's very, very important that you want to be evaluated by an ophthalmologist who is going to be the most appropriate for your child. If your child seems to have a cataract, we want a doctor who is a cataract specialist. If a child has a problem with the optic nerve, or maybe that it is cortical vision impairment where the visual centers of the brain are not functioning properly, then we want a neuro ophthalmologist, one who specializes in the neurology. And in virtually all of these cases, if your child has Medi-Cal or other types of insurances, your child is going to be able to receive this evaluation by one of these types of doctors. So you want to contact a, a teacher or an agency that knows who are some of the most respected doctors, and you could then get that telephone number and make the appointment. Now, when you make that appointment, now that you know who is the appropriate doctor for your child to see, we recommend that you do a few things to prepare for that appointment. Number one, we, we would recommend that you would get a notebook if you have any kind of binder at home, and you're going to then go ahead and create a notebook that's going to have all the information about your child. For example... If the pediatrician has written any reports about your child, put all of those reports from the pediatrician all together. And you could use these dividers, you know, to go ahead and separate those different sections. You then also want another section 
maybe it's going to include the hospital discharge report. So a lot of times when a baby is discharged from the hospital, they will give you a hospital discharge report. So you could put that in a different section of your notebook. And then you want to go ahead and you want to write a list of all the medications that your child currently takes or has taken in the past. If you write that down, that is going to be very, very helpful because then you could hand that list to your doctor or the nurse and they could simply make a photocopy of it. That way you don't have to try to memorize everything your child has taken and it will save a lot of time so that the doctor will have more time to answer your questions. You then want to create another section where you're going to have all of the records from anything related to your child's vision. If your child has been examined by any other eye doctors, let's just put all of those reports in that one section. This way, if the doctor wants to thumb through those, he or she could thumb through those previous records as well. You then want another section, and in this other section, I would actually take photographs. If you have photographs, most parents always have photographs of their babies, bring photographs of your child from different stages. Maybe you have a photograph when your child was a week old. Then you have another one when your child is six months old. And another photograph that your child is 12 months old. Bring those photographs. And the reason for that is that the eye doctors, we could look at the eyes and we could tell a lot about the eyes. We could tell if the eyes previously were crossing inward or maybe they were crossing outward or maybe one eye was higher than the other or maybe one eyelid was drooping. We look at these types of pictures so we could see how are things developing. This is really important because vision is a developed skill. And when we can see that certain vision conditions are improving, it gives us a lot of information to share with the parents. You also then want to create another section where I recommend that you will put all the business cards from any of the teachers, therapists, doctors, anybody else. You might just staple those onto a sheet of paper or you might photocopy them all and have them on this notebook. This way, if your doctor wants to contact any of the other doctors, you can ask the doctor's office to photocopy that and then they'll have the telephone numbers right at their disposal. The reason that that's so important is that I, as an eye doctor, if I have the telephone number right there, I can make a call right away. But if I have to then go and search for it, then I'm going to have to spend more time and it may take me longer to be able to call that doctor on behalf of that child. And then the next thing that you also want to keep in this notebook, and this is very, very, very important, is you want to take the time to write all the questions that you have for the doctor. You know, every question that you have, and there's going to be so many, you probably want to know, what can my child see? Is there a chance that my child's vision will improve? And no matter what the doctor tells you, 
I want you to know that from my experience in working with children with low vision for over 26 years now, the answer is yes. Child's vision can improve. There have been so many times that the doctors have told parents the vision will not improve, and we have found that the vision does improve. The way that vision improves is by, again, providing that stimulation so that the connections in the brain do develop. Other types of questions you might then ask is, you know, does my child need glasses? How far can my child see? Is it bad for my child to be in the sunlight? Any questions that you have at all, write them down. And when you then go to that appointment, you're going to have this paper on the top, and you could hand that directly to the doctor, and the doctor is going to love it. The doctor is going to love it that you're that organized. And the reason for that is because doctors are really stressed for time especially when you're going to see the pediatric ophthalmologist. Pediatric ophthalmologists may see as many as 70 to 80 patients in a day. So as a result, they don't have a whole lot of time to talk to you, or they don't have a whole lot of time for you to tell stories about when you went to Walmart and you weren't certain we were looking at the oil and we didn't know if we should get castrol or penzoil. And my grandson started to look, and I wouldn't, you know, the doctors don't want to hear those stories. They really need to understand what are your questions. So when you write these questions down and hand it to them, it gives the doctor the time to simply answer those questions for you one by one. And another thing to put in that notebook is going to be copies photocopies of your child's insurance card, child's Medicare card, Medi-Cal card, whatever types of cards that your child has, keep that in that notebook. And this whole idea, you might say, boy, that Dr. Bill is such a bright guy. How did he come up with this whole idea? Well, actually, I didn't. This is Sue Parker's idea and all of her staff. Well, I have to say, I have to say, Dr. Bill, I think it was definitely with your guidance and prompting that we kind of thought this, this would be a helpful thing for families. So I, I do have to give you credit for, for this as well. It was a collaborative effort. We'll call it that. How's that? Okay. Okay. Well, I'll take any credit that I can get there. <laughs> Please, but yeah. This type of a notebook will help you so that when you go to any appointment, whether it's with a speech therapist, occupational therapist, those doctors and therapists will be able to get the information they need from that notebook. And all you got to do is put that notebook inside the car when you're going, and you're going to be fine and set. So if anybody is looking for that type of assistance, you can contact uh, Sue Strafasi at Braille Institute, and is it something that's downloadable from the website at this time? At this time, it's not. But if uh, anyone wanted to contact us, we could certainly get them the um, the dividers with the information. Um, and like I said, this is really a, a conversation we had with you over a period of of time. You know, when talking about this very subject, what 
what what would be helpful to doctors and what would be helpful helpful for parents to have when they go on their doctor appointments. And like I said, everybody has different systems, and this may work for some people and may not for others. But um, it certainly is one way to organize your your materials and your um, and your questions and and bring everything to the doctor. We actually call it keeping it all together. So that's kind of our 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 working title for it. But if they wanted a copy of it, certainly they could contact me at strafasi at brailleinstitute.org, and we could get it to them. Great. And so that is, again, S as in Sam, mm-hmm. strafasi, S-T-R-A-F-A-C-I at brailleinstitute.org. Or um, you could also call Sue's secretary at 323 323- Nine zero six three one three eight, and they can get that for you. Mm-hmm. Now, as doctors and technicians and nurses, we are going to be so happy when we see you coming in with this notebook because, as you know, one of the things that happens anytime you go to an appointment is that the nurses or the doctors start asking you all these questions, and you don't know the answers to a lot of these things. As a result, that takes up time. When you have all of this information in that notebook, that information is going to be available, and this is going to allow the doctor to have more time to speak and to consult with you. They don't have to take all of that time and wait for you to call your husband or your wife and try to get this information. It will all be there. Another thing that you may also do, you may also, let's say, for example, that You don't have a lot of reports from your pediatrician. You don't have a medical release from the hospital. What you might do is you might go ahead and just write down a few bits of information about your child, and you could type it on the computer or you could write it. It doesn't matter. But things that we want to know, and you might want to take some notes now, is that, number one, we want to know how was your pregnancy? Was your pregnancy with this child, was it normal or was it very complicated? And then number two, we want to know what was the length of the gestation? In other words, was this baby born full term or was this baby born prematurely? And number three, we want to know at birth, Was your child breathing, or was there any time that your child had difficulties breathing? Number four, was there any time that your child has had any types of seizures? Number five, did your child suffer from any kind of injury? Maybe the child fell off of the couch and hit her head, or maybe that your child, you know, bumped into something, but any kind of injury. And then we also then want you to basically describe what is it that you're concerned with. This is called the chief complaint. My chief complaint is that it appears that my child's eyes are crossing. Number two, my child never looks at me. Number three, my child's eyes might be shaking. Any concerns that you have about your child's vision, 
you can basically write that type of information down. So the doctor could then, we could look at that. We know, oh, I know why you're here. And from those other components of the history, we will then know if we want to ask other types of questions. So that, again, saves a, a whole lot of time. Now, after you brought that notebook, there's other things that you want to do as you're then going to call the office to make the appointment. You want to schedule the appointment at a time of the day that your child is at his or her best. If you know that your child is always taking naps at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, do not schedule the appointment at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon because in those situations, we can't really examine the child and get all the information we want. You're going to have to come back again if your child is sleeping. We could do some of the testing, but not all of it. So schedule the appointment at a time of the day where your child is feeling the best and most alert and really, you know, very energized. Number two, when you come for that appointment, you want to make certain that you bring a tape recorder or other type of digital recorder. You could find these little tape recorders at Target for $20 or so. But the reason I recommend that you bring that is you could record what the doctor has said. This way, if your husband, your wife, your teachers, or anybody asks you that, you could play it back for them and everybody could hear it exactly as the doctor stated. So bring a little tape recorder. Number three, when you make this appointment, do not do not bring the brothers and sisters. And do not bring all the grandmothers and grandfathers and all the aunts and uncles. I mean, you wouldn't believe it. Sometimes we have six or eight people all trying to come in to the examination room. And that makes it very, very disruptive for the child. So don't bring the entire family and don't bring brothers and sisters because sometimes in some offices you might have to wait there two hours at a time. And when the other children are getting fussy and things, it makes it very, very stressful for you as a parent. Number four, bring a friend or a family member, or a neighbor, one person to come with you to keep you company and to help you. Because it may be that the baby is crying and the doctor's talking to you, that friend could then take the baby and walk the baby outside so that you could concentrate and listen to what the doctor is stating. But if you have to carry and nurture the baby while the doctor's talking, you're not going to hear and understand what the doctor is saying as well. You also then want to bring, bring food, food for yourself, food for the baby, bring milk, bottle, drink, cookies, whatever it is that your child's going to enjoy just in the event that your child's getting hungry. And also bring your child's favorite toys. If your child has a favorite toy or your child has a favorite music like a CD or a cassette tape, or your child has your favorite DVD movie, bring those. Because in most of these offices, we do have the ability to play these things on the computer screens. And when the child is calm, it makes things much, much easier.
So when you're scheduling these particular appointments and you have a friend with you who could carry all of these toys and music and movies and drinks and the tape recorder, it makes things so, so much easier for you. And you then want to do this when your child is having an appointment with the ophthalmologist and the pediatric low vision optometrist or the pediatric low vision ophthalmologist. So these are some of the things that we think are are really very, very helpful as you are then preparing for this particular type of appointment. You're going to make the appointment with the appropriate doctor. You don't want to waste your time making an appointment with the wrong doctor because many doctors are not experienced in examining children. So if you need help finding doctors, you could call us and we will help you with that. Number two, you want to create the notebook all in one place where you have all of that information in one location. And each time you receive a report or a prescription, just keep it in that notebook. It's going to be so, so helpful for you. And then when you do schedule that appointment, remember, make the appointment at the best time of the day for your child. Bring a good friend. Leave everybody else at home. Bring a cassette recorder, food, drinks, toys, a favorite blanket, anything that your child and you may need, bring it so that you'll be prepared and you'll get the most from that appointment. Sue, are there any other things that you wanted to share before we open it up to questions? No, I think you've covered everything. I think it's a lot of a lot of information for us all the process. So thank you so much. Yes. And again, for all of you, this is being recorded by Airs LA. And Airs LA is a nonprofit organization that records many lectures and seminars. So if you as teachers and parents would like to know about the latest research or you want to hear what was happening at a different symposium in a different state, for example, Airs LA, we do record many of these. And these are all available at Airs LA, and their website is www.airsla.org. So www.airsla.org. And you could also go on the Braille Institute webpage where we, we have all of the podcasts that we have recorded over the past three years so that you could share this with others or you can go back and and listen to that. Mm -hmm. So at this time, if you have any questions, I'm going to ask that you unmute your phone and you could press star six and that will then allow your voice to be heard and you could ask any questions to uh, myself or Sue, can you take any questions? Sure, sure. Okay. Absolutely, thank you. If anybody has a question, press star six and... Uh, go ahead and ask away. Hi, Bill. This is Julie Molina. Hi, Julie. Hi. Thank you for calling in. Hey, how are you? Anyways, I, my question is, a lot of times I have families come to me very confused because their ophthalmologist and optometrist do not agree on a prescription, whether it's lenses, whether it's a patching regimen, um, whether it's to do surgery, not do surgery, um, what do you recommend for families at that point? Yes, 
Yeah, that's a very, very difficult situation for all involved. You know, the teachers and uh, therapists such as Julie or the parents as well. And it's it's really unfortunate because in in many, many ways, both doctors are correct. So I'm going to talk about the first thing is that that is the first treatment for all children is going to be glasses. Now, doctors may have different philosophies on prescribing glasses for a child. One of the techniques that we as eye doctors will use is it will be where we will use an eye drop. And this eye drop, it will allow us to measure what is the strongest prescription possible that this child might need. And so let's say, for example, we put the eye drops in and we measure the prescription and we find that the child needs a four-power lens. Now, if we then measure that child without the eye drop, we measure that this child really only needs a two-power lens because the child's eye muscles are able to focus on its own as well. Now, doctor number one might say, well, I measured that this child needs a four-power lens, and I'm going to give him a full-strength prescription. Now, another doctor, let's say the optometrist, says, well, I measured the child's vision, and he's able to do some of this focusing on his own, so I don't want to give him a full-strength prescription because I don't want his eyes to get dependent on it. I don't want his muscles to get lazy. So I'm only going to prescribe a two-power lens. And so this is something where many parents get confused because they have a prescription from one doctor that says the child needs a four, and the other doctor says that the child needs a two. I feel that it's very, very important that the parents understand why it is that the two doctors have these differences of opinions. And both of them are theoretically correct, but there's there's more to discuss. If the child also has a eye muscle coordination problem, say, for example, a crossed eye, if the child has a crossed eye and the child is far-sighted, by giving that full-strength prescription, we may be able to straighten the eye without surgery. But if we give the partial prescription, the two, there's a strong chance that the eyes will remain crossed. So we need to look at all of these different variables. What is the prescription? What is the alignment of the eye? And what is the stage of development of that child? If you are giving a child who is very, very young, say a child who is six months old and younger, a prescription. Almost all children who are six months old and younger, they do have a prescription. But most of them really do not need it because their eyes are able to focus and they're learning to focus. The other thing is, what about this whole topic of eye muscle surgery or just waiting to see if the eyes will straighten up on its own? Well, the ophthalmologist they are trained to perform surgery. So they say, you know what? 
I could fix this in one hour by doing surgery, and we have nothing to worry about. Well, the optometrist, he may say, well, you know what? There's a chance that this child's eyes will straighten up on his or her own. We know that it's very common that during the first 12 months of life, a child's eyes may be misaligned. But after 12 months, for many children, their eyes will remain straight. So they say, I don't want to go through the risk of this child having surgery and anesthesia and infection. So I'm going to wait until after the child is 12 months. If the child's eyes are still crossing after 12 months, we then want to then consider surgery. So there's many, many factors to be discussed. And hopefully it would be something that the doctors, the two doctors that disagree, would be able to communicate. The same thing holds true when we're talking about patching. Some doctors say if we do patching, we have to patch all day long. Other doctors say we only need to do four hours a day. Some doctors will say we have to use a bandage patch. Others will say, no, we can't use a bandage patch. We need to use a scotch tape patch. Each of these treatments do have reasons that it is important to do it that way, but we really need to have a discussion uh, that relates to this individual case. So my recommendation in these cases would be, as a parent or as a teacher, is that you would then ask the doctor, would you be willing to participate in a conference call where we can have the ophthalmologist and the optometrist, all of us together, so we could really try to better understand what might be the best solution. Part of it is that, again, the other doctor may not be aware of what the other doctor is thinking. And they may say, you know, my way is the right way, but then the optometrist might say, no, my way is the right way. So if we get them to communicate, that's going to be the best thing. So as a parent and as a teacher, let's ask them to all participate in a conference call. If the doctor says, you know what, I don't have time for this conference call or I'm not going to be speaking with this other doctor, I honestly feel that, you know, your child deserves a doctor who is more compassionate, a doctor who is open to hearing what are the other possible reasons and solutions. Okay, so unfortunately, there is no clear-cut, easy answer. I will, I will make this opportunity, you know, available. I would be more than happy. I would be more than happy to consult with any of you if you do have these situations, or I'd be happy to consult with any of your children or any of these families. We could have a telephone conference when everybody is available. You know, it could be an evening. If you want it to be on a Saturday or a Sunday, we could do that. And uh, whatever reports and information you have available, if that information is, is shared with me, then I can, I can give you uh, an unbiased opinion because I do, I do feel there's many times that a child needs a full-strength prescription and other times they don't. And I feel that many children do need surgery and others don't. For example, today we had a child with a crossed eye and the parents 
really did not want to have surgery. But the amount that this child's eyes were crossing, it was so significant that there would really be no way that the child could pull with the muscles to keep the eyes straight. It would be so tiring and so painful that I told the parents, this is something that we do not feel the vision therapy, the glasses, any of those types of things would help. So let's go and have that consultation uh, for the surgery. And they then understood because they then understood how the muscle could get tired. Okay, so if there's ever a case that you, you need me, uh, go ahead and call me or send me an email. And my email is Dr. Bill Foundation, D-R-B-I-L-L Foundation at gmail.com, and uh, we can set it up. Is there another question? And does anybody else have any other recommendations? I know that from our our program, uh, Tori Schladen from our Family Research Program, uh, she's on the call. Tori, do you have any other uh, suggestions that, that might be helpful for parents as they're preparing for that evaluation? Hi, Dr. Bill. I just unmuted. Um, gosh, you covered so many of, I have a long list here of things I was thinking of, and I think you covered all of them. I don't know. Sometimes I know it's important for families to talk a little bit about any um, eye health history um, of their own um, or of their family members. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that or about the fact that in many of the doctor's offices, you know, forms will be sent to families, and it is very, very helpful um, when the parents come with that information filled out that might include any eye health history or family history of, of eye problems. Yes, that's a good point. You know, when you go to any of these eye doctors, unfortunately, you know, I have to say unfortunately because for parents it's a lot of work, but Many eye doctor's offices, when you walk into the doctor's offices, they will give you these forms to fill out all of this information. And that is something that takes time. Other offices will actually mail you this paperwork beforehand. So you could then state, yes, my sister has a crossed eye and my brother has a crossed eye. So you can give them the information if any family members have these kinds of problems. But if it's easier for you, on that paper that we talked about, you could write as a summary for your child. Um, you could also just add that, yes, my my mother had a crossed eye, my brother had this problem or that problem, and, and that will be very, very helpful. But it's kind of hard to predict which offices are going to ask you to fill out the paperwork at your home or other offices are now asking you to fill it out on the iPad in their offices. So um, both ways, but if you could find the information about any family members who had eye problems, that would also be really good, just as Tori stated. Let's see, does anybody else have any other recommendations of what could help everybody uh, green prepared? Okay, so that really about does it for uh, tonight's uh, program. We hope that you enjoyed it. We really thank you for your time. And uh, Sue, did you Mm -hmm. want to make an announcement for our next month's uh, program? Yes, our next 
actually our June um, conference will be our last one for this year, and then we'll take a little break for the summer. Um, we are in the process of kind of finalizing our topic, and we will send you out an announcement in the next couple weeks, and we hope to have you all joining us again. Um, and at that time, too, you'll give, maybe you'll have a chance to do open it up for Ask Dr. Bill, too, because that's always a great way to end our, our year. So um, we will be getting in touch with you soon. Okay, great. Okay, thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you so much, Dick Burden, for recording this, and thank you again, Sue.